Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I am so excited to bring you today's featured guest, Elizabeth Lesser. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And if there's anyone out there that is trying to put a name and a face and a background together, let me give you a little background on Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the author of The Seeker's Guide and Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, as well as the recently released Marrow, A Love Story. She's the co-founder of Omega Institute, which is recognized internationally for its workshops and conferences in health, wellness, spirituality, creativity, and social change. The Institute was founded in 1977, and it welcomes more than 30,000 participants each year to its campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Now, prior to her work at Omega, she was a midwife and childbirth educator. She attended Barnard College and San Francisco State University and lives in New York's Hudson Valley with her family. Elizabeth, we covered a lot there. Let us know if there's anything that we missed and just give us a little bit of background into your personal life, if you would. Well, now you covered all of my work life. Indeed, I'm an author and the founder of Omega Institute. And, um, you know, uh, as I say in my book, Broken Open, um, I, I, I use a line, we're all bozos on the bus, meaning we're all just regular <laughs> people, no matter what our work may make us sound like. So I also like to say, yes, I'm all those things and I'm a bozo on the bus. I like that. I hadn't heard bozo on the bus before. <laughs> makes it simple. Yeah, well, it makes it like, you know, one of the things I've learned over all my years at Omega, I've been, had the honor and the learning privilege to work with so many of the great authors and leaders and thinkers and spiritual teachers of our times. And um, the people I always resonate with the most are the people who just acknowledge yeah, I've gone a long way in my life, but I'm also just a struggling human being like you and me. Those are the people I end up learning the most from. So um, it, it's good to level that playing field when you do something like an interview program like this. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I know a lot of things, but I so do you. So do all the listeners. So yes. We're in this together. We're on this bus together. Yeah, and you know, I, I love that you just said that because that's really the catalyst for the show was to kind of, you know, shed light on the fact that you may have this person that I'm interviewing on a pedestal, but they're a regular person. Yeah. They everyone, have their trials and tribulations too. Everyone fell off the pedestals for me when I was, <laughs> maybe, you know, like I, I helped start Omega when I was 22, wow. but I was 30, nobody, there were no pedestals. You know, because what happens when you meet the so-called great ones personally 
you you get to see who they really are backstage you know the 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 well-known monk acting kind of jerky you know mm -hmm. or or the relationship expert crying over lunch because uh her marriage is ending you know like so you begin yeah. to see like oh oh we're all struggling and sometimes the people the wisest people are wise because they've struggled so much so it kind of lets you off the hook when you're on some sort of self-examination path, like not to be so hard on yourself and to expect that you're going to get to this plateau of enlightenment greatness and then it's all over. No, we, we spend our life doing this. Exactly, exactly. Well, Elizabeth, I, as you know, the show's focused on partnerships of all types, whether they be personal, professional, whatever they happen to be. And I'm wondering... For you, what have you found to be kind of a guiding principle or a mantra that you can come back to when you feel like you kind of got off your path regarding partnership? Mm -hmm. Well, the partnership I'll probably talk about the most today is the is the one I had with my sister, Maggie. It's the one I write about in my newest book, Marrow. I was my sister's bone marrow donor. Oddly enough, Ken, um, Today, that when you're interviewing me, mm -hmm. right this minute is two years to the day, to the time that my sister died wow. years ago. And, and I, I, I didn't even realize that when we chose this date to be together, um, that I'm going to be talking about her and it's her anniversary of her death. Anyway, maybe she's with us right now. I'm sure. So the partnership that I, I want to talk about is... What happened to my sister and I when it turned out that against the odds, we found a bone marrow donor for her and it turned out to be me. Um, only 25% of siblings test as a match for somebody's bone marrow transplant and outside of the sibling pool, even fewer. Mm -hmm. I turned out to be her perfect match. And before we went through the bone marrow harvest and transplant, um, we decided that, uh, yeah, we might be a perfect uh, bone marrow match, but we weren't a perfect, as we came to call it, soul marrow match. We had some things to clean up in our partnership, our relationship, our siblinghood. Mm -hmm. We went on this journey not just sharing ourselves through a, a bone marrow transplant, but we also tried to clean up many, many years of a sisterhood that had a lot of things to unpack. And um, during that, I, I came up with a mantra, a saying that ended up becoming one I use all the time now. Um, I had was telling a friend that I, I was going to go through this soul, soul marrow and bone marrow transplant with my sister. And I said, I, you know, I want to help save my little sister. And she said to me, you know, Maybe it's time to put away that idea of your partnership, that one person is stronger than the other, the little sister, the big sister. Give to her from your strength, but give to her strength. And I took that and turned it into the little saying, strength to strength. I was going to be my strongest self, my best self. But I was going to give to her strength and her best self. I was going to equalize this relationship. She has a really strong core. I have a really strong core. I was going to look for her strength, not kind of try to save 
her weakness. And, you know, that's really changed up the way I look at all my partnerships. Like if I'm in something with my husband or one of my kids or a colleague at work, I like get quiet, get into my core, my strength. And then I, I look for their strength. I relate to them strength to strength. I love that. Uh, it was interesting, Elizabeth, as you were as you were sharing that story, and, and when you said "give to their strength," I could feel that shift. Mm -hmm. Because it, it is, it's a huge difference. Uh, you know, anytime you're, you know, think you're giving advice or assistance in some way, if that's your your viewpoint, that's a very different agreement that you're operating from. Yeah, it it it's, I mean. It really changed things up for me. I, I and I come back to it over and over. I keep a little yellow sticky on my writing desk. Strength is strength. It it just um, it really does change it up. It's it's not like the strong one helping the weaker one, the smart one helping the less intelligent one. It's like no, like find who that person really is. Yeah. That, that is excellent. Thank you. Well, one of the things that we love on the show is is when our guests are willing to share their stories. And, and the direction I'd like to start with, Elizabeth, is take us to a time in your life when you kind of tripped up in a partnership and, and tell us, you know, what were you doing? What did you trip up on? And, and what did you learn from this that has helped you move forward? Well, Sticking with my story about my sister Maggie, mm -hmm. uh, Maggie and, and I are two years apart, uh, just, and we, we fall in the middle of a family of four girls. And we had a, a, a history of a relationship that was both loving and not all that intimate for all sorts of reasons, but... Um, we had been tripping up in that relationship. I had been tripping up in that relationship pretty much my whole life. Mm. And I think siblings can really relate to that. <laughs> yes. Siblings. You know, it's like if you really examine any long-term relationship, there's a lot of trip-ups that over a period of time, like, calcify into the definition of your relationship. These stories that we had built up about each other, never bothering to check out. And um, it's, so you're trapped in a whole bunch of unexamined stories. And so um, one particular story that we had never unpacked was a period of our life of, of quite a few years when I was in the middle of a divorce, when I needed my sister the most, she rejected me, and um, there were times when she wouldn't even allow me in her house, and I never understood it, but I also never bothered to check it out. I never bothered to say, what's going on? What, what's happening to us? So we just sort of had a – our kids were cousins, so we stayed very connected that way, but we lost the spark of real honest intimacy. So when I – was about to become my sister's bone marrow donor. And I said to her, hey, let's try to clean things up between us. 
we want we kind of wanted to like teach our cells once my cells got into her body there was a chance that they might attack their new home there was also a chance that her body might reject my cells and both of those things could kill her literally uh it was life and death that my cells would be accepted and and that they wouldn't attack her and she wouldn't reject me and i said to her you know we have a long history of rejecting and attacking each other maybe we could like teach ourselves a different way of doing things on the mind body level so we we did something we'd never done we went to a therapist we had several sessions and then we continued it on our own where we we bravely told each other the truth and asked each other deep questions and one of them was why why when i needed you weren't you there for me you had everything i had nothing and she was like oh my god you don't know anything what was going on and then she told me a story of how she was so afraid to let me into her life because she was going through a very difficult marriage uh a marriage where she was really not being treated well at all and she was afraid if she let me in she would have to do what i had done and so she was protecting herself not from me but from herself but we'd never checked it out and with that one stopping and checking a story out she got to say and why did you do x y and z and i got to explain myself and it cleaned things up quickly we'd like in an hour we had put down the old stories we had picked up the truth of our unconditional love for each other and we sailed into this unbelievable year together after the transplant and i know it's not as easy as it may sound but it taught me to be braver in in stopping stories from building yeah you know i think one of the most interesting pieces of what you just shared there Elizabeth was the idea of going how do we get ourselves to like each other because mm-hmm. clearly like you said there's such a metaphor there of your body can reject them it can attack them it's all the things we do in real life that at a cellular level we can do too Mhm Yeah and that are going on all the time our body is such a metaphor for our our psychology it's 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 really quite amazing i really got to live in how the body mind connection isn't just an idea it's really going on all the time yeah absolutely well let me ask you if you'd share another story with us elizabeth and, and where i'd like us to go is if you would share a time in your life when you had what i call a duh moment where you were just like okay can't believe i've been doing this this entire time and help us understand you know what was going on what steps did you take and then how did you take that wake up moment and turn it into a building block for your future partnerships well um i already told you what's probably the biggest duh moment which was that moment my sister and i had in therapy where um you know i had used i had used with her uh she she's not the kind of person i am i i was very used to like this idea of let's go into therapy together that wasn't who she was um and so i had to kind of woo her into the idea of it and i wooed her by sending her 
a um, cartoon from the New Yorker. Mm. This is something my parents had done with us our whole life, uh, sending us cartoons that they thought was relevant to moments in our life. I sent her this great cartoon where these these um, two women talking to each other, and one says to the other, I've never forgiven him for that thing I made up in my head. Mm. And I said to her, you know, we've been making up things in our head about each other forever. Um, let's get to the truth of this. And so I've had so many duh moments since then. Like the other day I was at work, something happened in a meeting, and a colleague I'm very close to said something in the meeting that really hurt my feelings. I felt misunderstood. I felt thrown under the bus. And usually what I would do is just kind of let that go and turn it into a story in my head. He doesn't respect me. He wasn't listening to me. He's not going to support me in the future. And then those kind of stories have a way of taking a, a life of their own. So I thought, okay, I learned from my sister to interrupt the storytelling and try to find out what's really going on. I learned the hard way. I think maybe I'm going to try to learn right now in real time. So in that meeting, I just stopped and said, can you explain to me why you just said what you said? This is what I heard. It kind of made me feel either you didn't understand me or you're not telling me something that you want to say. And I, I realized it was putting him on the spot. It maybe wouldn't work, but I decided to take a risk. It's risky. It's risky to interrupt storytelling. But I decided I was going to I was going to take that risk. And he was so grateful that I did. He was like, "No, that's not what I meant. I realized that came out wrong. I'm sorry. Let's start all over. This is what I meant." And it was so great because it could have sort of metastasized into something that was unhealthy, not just for me, for him, for the other people in the room, for the organization. And um, I call that being a first responder. You know, you think of first responders as firemen or policemen, and they're all great and everything. But there's a different kind of first responder we need, which is the someone who takes the emotional risk of, of um, going a little deeper for vulnerability and intimacy. And I look around right now at our political situation in our country, and I think we all are going to need to become truth-telling first responders, interrupting stories that aren't true with love and with keeping in mind not your own ego, but the, the bigger health of of our country. Yes. <laughs> Full agreement there, Elizabeth. And, you know, what I love about what you just said was how well you articulated that what could have happened if you hadn't said anything. Mm -hmm. Because we all do it. I mean, that's our nature, right? It fills in the blanks. It comes up with these stories and it never comes up with good stories. Right. It always comes up with like these worst case scenarios. Well, except it, unless you're a narcissist, then all you do is good <laughs> stories. Yes, <laughs> yes. But what's interesting about that, right, is 
none of them are validated. We just made them up. Yeah. We didn't check. We didn't ask them. And normally, just like you described, you know, you presented this and said, hey, why did you say that? And he's like, oh, you t I totally said that poorly. That's not what I meant at all. And then now, you can clean it up right then before yeah, it gets all now, this charge to it that makes it dangerous. Now, I am telling it like that's the best case scenario of of what happens when you become a first responder. Yes. Sometimes it doesn't go that well. Sometimes the person is too defensive to meet you there. Um, I, I call it meeting in the field from that beautiful Rumi poem, out beyond mm -hmm. wrongdoing and right doing. There is a field, I'll meet you there. Sometimes someone does not want to meet you in that field. Their defenses are too high. So I don't want to portray this as la la la, say your truth and it's a happy ending. I've learned the hard way. Um, and that's been other duh moments for me <laughs> where I like learn over and over, oh, that person doesn't want to play this way. Don't, there, there's a possibility that vulnerability actually can backfire and you're not safe anymore. So you got to be wise and uh, always, I, I, I prefer to rush into the burning building as the first emotional responder, you know, and try, go for the connection, go for the depth. But you have to stay very open to the fact that someone may not be ready, may use it against you, and then recalibrate. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. That I'm, I'm glad you made that clarification because you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. If you if you just have your agenda and I'm going to go here no matter what, you can make it worse. Yeah. Absolutely. But try. I yeah. say err on the on an air in the direction of connection. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Well, Elizabeth, I'm going to have us kind of shift directions here. And, and what I'd love to have you do is, is share a story of what I call one of those proud partnership moments. And sometimes it's romantic, family, career, you know, you name it. But the way I recognize these is they're, they're moments in time where you look back and you go, as soon as you think of them, you can't help but smile. What's mm. one of those for you? I just had one just had one and, and it was it's going to follow in this same line I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record but the same line of being the first responder but it's so up for me having you know when you write a book when I write a book I like am testing out all the the theory on myself all the time mm -hmm. so I've been living in this idea um, based on what I went through with my sister of like breaking up storylines before they happen um, so at, at the Christmas holiday, which just passed, I had uh, all three of my sons, their wives, and their little children here in one house in the middle of winter in upstate New York. It was like a recipe for either family joy or family catastrophe, or <laughs> which it usually is both. Mm -hmm. You know, just like a lot of people in one house in the middle of winter snowing. Oh, no. And... I, I, um, the, by day two, I already realized that I was going into like crazy mother self where, um, I was doing all the cooking, all the cleaning. I was trying to make sure this 
brother was getting along with that brother and that grandchildren child wasn't taking all the attention and like I was turning into a stressed out mess. And mostly what I was doing was building stories of like, you know, we're a blended family. One of my sons is my stepsons. And I was all these old stories of when our families had come together, like he doesn't like him. And this, this uh, daughter-in-law resents that one. And like, these were all just things in my head. And I took a walk on day two on a snowy day with my, one of my sons and daughter-in-laws and they're, um, they both happen to be therapists. So, um, of all of the kids in the family, I can like kind of unburden my soul to them. And we took a walk and I just thought like, you know what? I am not going to let these stories keep building. I'm going to check out what the heck is going on from a, someone who doesn't live inside my head. So I told them what was going on in me. You know, I'm afraid you don't like this person and that person doesn't like that. And like, what can I do to fix our family? And how come nobody helps me cooking dinner? And we sat down on a bench and even though it was cold, we sat there for like an hour and they were the most wonderful mirrors to me. And I won't go through the whole thing because it, it was kind of remarkable in that everything I said, they had something to say back. And the takeaway was when my son finally looked at me and said, Mom, we all adore each other. The one thing that could ruin this vacation is you continuing to be as uptight as you are. So if you just let it go <laughs> and let us have all of our relationships and let us help you. And like, stop being the, the, you know, big mother hen. It's going to be great. Just let it go. And I did. And it was like such a, such a great shift. And I, I was so proud of it. I was proud of myself that I, that I was vulnerable. I was proud of them for really listening to me. And, and it comes back to that first thing we said, the strength to strength. Mm -hmm. I, I, they weren't my kids anymore. I wasn't the mom who takes care of everything. I was just a bumbling person really wanting to enjoy the preciousness of being together as a family at Christmas. So uh, that's a proud moment. Yes, I, I can imagine so. And it's it's such a, a wonderful story, the way you described it. It really does. It comes back to strength to strength. Instead of going, because of my role, I'm your mom, so I have to do all these things because you're my kids. Well, they're adults. Right. Yes, and they're your kids, but they're not children. What's interesting, and I was just thinking about this as you were talking, was um, in order to be strong, you have to be vulnerable. Yes. Like, I couldn't get to my strength without first being just a kind of mess with them. And so it's such a beautiful balance of you find your strength and your vulnerability uh, they go hand in hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Elizabeth, we've arrived at a part of the show I call Bring It All Home. And this is when we step away from the stories. And I ask you to provide some simple guidance for our listeners that they can take and apply directly into their partnerships right away. And where I'd like to start is I'm curious what you would consider the best partnership or relationship advice that you've ever received. Well, <clears throat> let's see. When my sister um, Maggie 
who died two years ago, uh, maybe at this moment, uh, right before she died, um, she told me she really hoped that I had taken from our year of soul marrow transplant this idea that she had said to me in our uh, therapy session even though you know we were a perfect genetic match that meant all 10 of our genetic markers lined up so that I could be her bone marrow donor she said to me you know you don't have to be perfect to be my perfect match meaning you can be a just a messed up, wonderful, bumbly, learning human being, and you're still my perfect match. We can be perfect for each other without being perfect. And that's such, that takes such a burden off one in relationship. That other person doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. And you still can have a quote-unquote perfect partnership. Imperfect people can make a glorious partnership. So stop expecting yourself to be perfect. Stop expecting the other person to be perfect and join together in, in a very human, human dynamic and be forgiving all the time of your own rough edges and the rough edges and the imperfections of the other. And that makes for a perfect match. Yes, I, that's... You know what that reminded me of? It's it's the old Dr. Seuss quote of we're all a little weird and life's a little weird. And when we mm. find someone whose weirdness is compatible with ours, we join up and form yeah. mutual weirdness. I love that. That's so perfect. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, it isn't about being perfect in order to be a perfect match. It's so, so powerful. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, I'd love to ask you what you feel is... Like, if you had to pick one, what would be the book or the resource that you would recommend to our listeners, and why that one? Hmm. So many great ones. I, I do want to say I'm not I'm not saying this like for ka-ching, ka-ching, but like if you <laughs> that part that I was talking about, um, not not making the mistake to go to unsafe people to clean up your relationship with. If you're interested in more about that, I go into it in my book, Marrow, a love story. Cause I think that's a really important thing. So that's, that's a good book, but that obviously hasn't been the book for me cause I wrote it. <laughs> um, you know, some of my hardest relationships have been with men and, and my most important relationships have been with men. You know, I've been married twice and I have three sons, and I've worked primarily with other men leaders. So I want to give a plug for trying to understand communication differences between men and women. And um, I think it's so critical for women to find their voice and for men to find a voice that women can work with and vice versa. So books, two books that have been really important to me are, um, he's a Jungian psychologist, Robert Johnson. He wrote these two very little books, and they're written in such easy language. They're called He, Understanding Masculine Psychology, and She, Understanding Feminine Psychology. And what I love about it is that it, it's not so women can understand their psychology and men theirs. It's so that we can all 
find the masculine and the feminine within ourselves. It's kind of like the strength to strength. Like mm. find your strong masculine and learn how to relate to the other's strong masculine and find your strong feminine and relate strength to strength, feminine to feminine, so that when we're whole human beings, very balanced in our male-female parts internally, we can find that in the other person. So, um, you know, it's, as a feminist my whole life, I've known that a key to feminist success is when men feel proud of their feminine. You know, women are trained to feel very proud, like I'm a tomboy. You know, that when, if you say that as a woman, you feel like, yeah, I'm a tomboy. But if a man says, yeah, I'm kind of a sissy, that's not good. You know, <laughs> men are like, oh, I'd never say that. I want men to be able to feel really proud of their feminine and women to feel proud of their masculine and for us to meet there in this field of mutuality where it doesn't matter what your potency of male or female is, like all of it's a great soup that makes individual people who they are. Wow, those those are incredible resources. <clears throat> Thank you, Elizabeth. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's clear to our listeners, I know it's clear to me that you have so much to share, such a rich resource of information. How do people that are listening contact you and learn more about what you're doing? Well, I have my own website, which is um, www.elizabethlesser.org. And also Omega's website, my organization's website, which is the letter E, omega.org. Um, those are two great places to learn about my work and books and thoughts. I have on my website lots of like how-tos, you know, drilling down deeper in some of the things I've been talking about today. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. And anybody who's listening and you didn't get a chance to jot those down, please know these will be on the show page for Elizabeth's show. You just go to speakingofpartnership.com. Type in Elizabeth's name and you'll go straight to her page and all those links will be there. So it's really easy for you to get a hold of her. Elizabeth, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much. I've loved your stories and your insights. Super huge gift you gave us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing your show. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.